We're live, ladies. That was amazing. Thank you all so, so, so much. So, Dr. Barbara, I want to start with you, and then we're just going to chit-chat. COVID-19. COVID-19 and what we've heard. And, and, and Nicole, you jump in here, and, and Dr. Anita as well. COVID-19 has just been awful, obviously, just globally. But on the African-American color communities of color, we've seen some hard impacts. And we know it's because of the underlying issues that exist in our community. Can you talk to us about that and, and specifically around heart disease and how that is a big part of what we're seeing in uh, COVID-19? So first of all, I think what COVID-19 did, it uncovered something that we have known for a long time. I happen to be the past president of the Association of Black Cardiologists, and for over 45 years, we have been fighting the disparity that exists in healthcare through research, through advocacy, and through education. And I think it's, well, earlier we heard about how our zip code determines our health. And that's a, that is a reality. But I think what COVID-19 did is COVID-19 brought this to the forefront so that other people would know what we've been dealing with. Uh, in, from a cardiovascular point of view, I'll share two things. During the pandemic, what happened, a lot of people, they said, oh, I'm not going to the doctor. I'm definitely not going to the emergency room because I'll get COVID if I go to the emergency room. So we saw a lot of interesting things during the pandemic. One, people with high blood pressure, some of them got strokes because their blood pressure just accelerated and they didn't seek care. And so they ended up with a stroke. The second thing we saw people due to the stress, people had more palpitations, they had more arrhythmias and those arrhythmias because the heart rate was beating fast led to their heart pump function decreasing. So that was the second thing that we saw. And the third thing that we saw is people who had chest pain said, oh, I'll wait until tomorrow, or I'll wait until it gets better, or even, even better than that, well, it's probably not my heart, it's probably just indigestion. They actually had heart attacks with very late effects, some effects that we just see in books, but people now, because they did not seek help for their heart attack, they ended up with these delayed effects. So it was real. And now let's fast forward to after the pandemic. So people may have tested positive, no symptoms, just mild or mild symptoms. Now we're seeing a lot of people showing up now with inflammation around the heart. Because you remember the original COVID-19, we associated mainly with lung problems, um, respiratory problems, but now we're seeing problems with the heart where they have inflammation around the heart, inflammation in the heart muscle. And another big thing, it affected, COVID-19 affected the clotting factors. So now we're seeing people showing up with clots in their legs, clots in their lungs, and heart attacks due to just a clot. It's not just, not because they have a blockage, but just clots in the heart. So COVID-19 bottom line is not just affecting the lungs, it's now affecting on the back end, the heart. And now we're going to hear about mental problems. We hear, hear about neurological problems, GI problems. So it's affecting all the systems. And that's why I'm going to put a plug in. The way to stop this is so that we could all be vaccinated 
so that this doesn't so that we can get back to normal. So, um, Nicole, talk to us a little bit about that. What is Baptist doing with regard to vaccines and getting it out into the community? So we are absolutely uh, one of the locations that the state has been able to deliver vaccines to. And um, early on, we knew that it would be um, important for us to reach the communities that were most impacted, most infected, most vulnerable. Um, it is our communities who are the essential workers who had to go out to work and be exposed. Um, and we, of course, have the underlying conditions, as Dr. Barber just talked about. So um, we partnered with our faith-based communities, our churches, um, even temples, um, everywhere we could get to the people uh, to invite them in. And um, I'm so blessed that it was the South Campus uh, that had a vaccination clinic that allowed um, many of our community members. Um, we had seniors, we had folks with comorbid conditions. It was a beautiful sight to see them respond to the opportunity to get vaccinated. And uh, what a joyful day uh, that was. Uh, we partnered with JTA to get them transportation. And so they were bussed over and uh, we were taking care of them uh, with their first doses. And uh, we look forward to uh, the next opportunity to uh, finish out the vaccination cycle. Um, the other thing that I'll say is just really grateful that there are so many African-American physicians who have stepped forward and uh, like Dr. Barbara, made themselves available to deliver trusted, uh, fact-based, scientific information to counter yeah. uh, the uh, social media um, stuff that we often have access to, or the uh, rumor mill that you heard from uh, your friend and family and what have you. So um, it is really important um, that um, our clinicians, our trusted providers continue to um, give information to those who um, may not have access to, to, the, to, the, to the facts. So thank you for that, Dr. Barbara. Well, I was just looking Barbara, at you're on mute. There you are. I, I was just going to ask Nicole a question. I saw some statistics last night that was really troubling, uh, where it said 60% of whites are already vaccinated and only 5% of African-Americans. And the thing that I'm concerned about with that is that, you know, there some African-Americans don't have access to computers where some people are requiring them to sign up. So I was just wondering if part of your program, if there are people that are actually calling on some of these people, because how else would they know when it's their time to be vaccinated? And that's one thing I'm concerned about, people who don't have access to the regular electronics to sign up for the vaccination. You're exactly right. We actually depended on the faith leaders to connect with their congregations and deliver the message. And so um, we were able to get uh, multiple folks um, in that way. But you're exactly right, highlighting a really important um, challenge that we're going to have to overcome if we are to change those statistics. But just to be um, clear, 
of the folks that are vaccinated, 60% are white and 5% are um, African-American because the entire population, as you know, only about 2% of America has been vaccinated. So I just wanted to clarify that those numbers. That is, that's a lot, y'all. And I don't know, I'm sitting here right now thinking, how can we help with that? How do we get the word out? I know my mother-in-law, as you know, Nicole, who lives right downtown Jacksonville in a seniors center, how we got it is Bar uh, Kim Barbell Johnson, Dr. Barbell Johnson. She called me up. She said, has your mother-in-law got her vaccine yet? No. Okay. Go to St. Paul's church on Sunday at 220. And you, and she's today going for her second vaccine because it was Moderna um, a month ago at, you know, the same day we had the sister covenant. So that's how she knew because she's not on social media. She's not on, she doesn't have a smartphone, you know, she's not on any database. So um, we got to do something. I don't know what to do. Anita, what are you seeing in South Florida? What, what, what are y'all doing effectively in that community? So we're doing the same things. Faith-based organizations are involved. I'm, I'm actually scheduled for my vaccination today at one of the local churches. Um, my staff actually went to one of the public health clinics, but it's a matter of uh, spreading it mouth to mouth. I mean, word to, spreading it from uh, person to person, word, word, to, word to word, whatever, um, person to person. That's what I was trying to think of. Um, but we're actually, um, the black doctors are involved as well. We have um, some of the local organizations, um, Delta, uh, Sigma Theta, the Lynx Incorporated, and um, some of the um, politicians are involved in getting uh, the seniors, the word out to seniors so that they can go to some of the uh, public health clinics that are local here. And for me, from a physician standpoint, because I'm a part of that community, I'm actually given names. If I have patients that want to get the vaccination 65 years and older, I'm, I'm sending them. If they're healthcare workers, I'm trying to send them to the local. So it, it's actually taken all of us um, the hospitals, the clinics, the politicians, um, local organizations, physicians, just to link together to get this done so people can get vaccinated. And it's going to um, continue to be that way because hospitals are going to be um, not the places that first doses get delivered uh, going forward. The state of Florida has decided that they're going to partner with Walgreens and CVS and so hopefully as the capacity and the supply improves, we'll be able to say, come on, let's go to Walgreens and CVS. And it won't have to be this appointment and right, like so difficult um, because unfortunately the supply is so scarce at the moment. So go ahead, Dr. Barbara. And then I have a question. You're on mute, Barbara. Barbara, you're on mute. Yeah, I was going to say the other thing is that we have to, in our messaging, debunk all the myths that are out there. Because even as we encourage people to go, I say, they say, oh, well, they're trying to experiment on us black folks. None of us were in the trial. Yes, there were African-Americans in the trial. And I tell people the amount of African-Americans in this trial is actually more African-Americans that were in some of the trials that tested some of the medications you take now, heart failure, blood pressure, cholesterol. So it's not been a new problem where they're not a lot of African-Americans, but they were 10% in both the Pfizer and the Moderna, Moderna trial. The other thing is to emphasize the fact that the vaccine is safe. 
it's effective, 95% on both of those. And now the, the new one that's coming out, it is free, free. And finally, there are some mild effects. I mean, the pain at the site uh, of the injection, you may have some mild flu-like symptoms, 24 hours, but Tylenol, one Tylenol to take care of that, and that is minimal compared to actually getting COVID-19. So I gotta go here, guys. So we hear all the conversation around Publix and you just mentioned Walgreens. Is this good for us? And when I say us, our community, because we can get the vaccine at some point. But is this going to set us up for not having access in some of our communities? Because on northwest side of Jacksonville, and I, I grew up in Miami, Anita, so I have some some zip codes over there. I, you know, South Florida, I can mention. There's one Publix in northwest Jacksonville. And I lived on South Jacksonville for years and Brenda knows which publics I'm talking about, but in South Jacksonville, there are five. I could all but walk to them all. Do you understand where I'm going? There is no, I'm trying to think of the Walgreens in Northwest Jacksonville, maybe there's one. So, so outside of the church, that's what I just heard. I heard you say they're going away from the hospitals. How, how is the black community gonna get vaccines? Well, <laughs> I have a thought. I, I, I think the church is one place, but I think they have to go where we are. And I know we're talking about uh, Blacks, but another big group, it's the Latinx co community. And, exactly. And the, the problem with that community is the mistrust and the fact that if they show up some way, it may uncover things that they don't want uncovered. So we have to be sensitive about that. So we have to go to where these people are. And like I said, African-Americans, they may not go to the doctor, but they love to go to church or places of worship. And so I think it's a great idea to start there with places of worship. And I also have a thought. One of my thoughts is that black physicians have to stay engaged. Mm -hmm. um, we are the ones who come in contact with our community. And so if we can stay engaged, we can make sure that our patients and our community has access, whether it's doing radio programs, whether it's just touching the people that you touch. So I think by keeping us engaged and having us as advocates, I think that's made a big difference. So whenever um, there's access in our local community, some of the doctors are texting me and say, look, there's access at this, at this church. They have 600 shots. Do you have any patients that need it? This public health clinic has a thousand or 500. Do you have anybody that needs to have the vaccination? So it involves all of us, like I said before, we as black physicians have to stay engaged and we have to be advocates for our patients in our community. Agree. Thank you, Dr. Anita. That's, we need that's you at right. the table. Nicole, we need you at the table. Yeah, no doubt. I um, would also say that our um, community civic organizations, our sororities and fraternities, all of us have to be there um, advocating for our people and connecting because um, the policymakers are not um, in a place, let me call it that way, um, to get it done the way we know we can get it done. So um, thank you for, for uh, connecting folks. So Dr. Barber, one of the questions we had, um, Anita had with res regard to sleep apnea, what was that question, Anita? You want to ask that? 
sleep apnea as it relates to heart disease? Yeah, that was the question. Mm -hmm. She's board certified in sleep medicine, so I know she can answer that too. Yeah, this is my um, favorite topic actually, uh, because I always say sleep disease is a sleeper in heart disease because no one thinks about sleep as having anything at all to do with heart disease. I'm one of the few that's double boarded in both. And it was because of the link between sleep and heart disease. First of all, how much sleep do we need? Well, six to eight hours a night. I know as women, we do in so many other things, we may not be able to get six to eight hours, but there have been studies showing that if you don't, or if you get less, that can actually lead to mild atherosclerotic heart disease. So that's number one. But the other big one, uh, and I think uh, Anita, that's the one you asked about, was obstructive sleep apnea. Well, what that is really is when you're sleeping, you stop breathing for at least 10 seconds. Uh, it could be complete obstruction or incomplete obstruction of your upper airway. People who snore are much more likely to have obstructive sleep apnea. And although men are more likely to have obstructive sleep apnea than women, there are lots of women that have obstructive sleep apnea. And just one myth, you do not have to be obese to have obstructive sleep apnea because if the back of your throat is crowded, uh, that can predispose to that. But the bigger issue is what happens if you have obstructive sleep apnea uh, and it's not treated? One, your blood pressure. We can put you on seven medications. It's not going to come down. So you end up with untreated or resistant high blood pressure. Number two, your blood sugar goes up, untreated sleep apnea. Number three, you get palpitations, arrhythmias. We now know that people with atrial fibrillation, as a matter of fact, everyone with atrial fibrillation should be tested to make sure they do not have obstructive sleep apnea. Because if they have obstructive sleep apnea and they've had five ablations, it's not going to go away unless they treat the obstructive sleep apnea. So the other thing is obstructive sleep apnea, as in the case of Reggie White, can cause sudden death at night. We all think everyone who died at night had a heart attack. No, it could be they stopped breathing and that mechanism to wake us up when we stopped breathing did not work. So obstructive sleep apnea is very, very, very much related to heart disease. And so if you have resistant high blood pressure, it needs to be evaluated. Now, I think one of the other questions was how do you treat it? Most people think of the treatment with that big mask in front of your face. There's several ways to treat it. Now we could even start with your dentist. If you have mild sleep apnea, the dentist could build a device that pulls your jaw forward at night such that it doesn't close up the back of your throat when you sleep. That's one thing. Two, the other one is CPAP that just pushes air in to keep the back of the throat open. There's now a little device that you could put under the chin that's almost like a pacemaker. So while you're sleeping, it paces this muscle on the bottom to prevent the throat closing up and that keeps the back of the throat open. And finally, you could do invasive surgery where they could go in and really remove a lot of the structures at the back of your throat that's causing the obstruction. So there are a lot of different ways to treat it. Golly. So Brenda, so what I got from this morning we want to get rid of that salty friend because they're not our friend. <laughs> we want to retrain our palate. We want to move, Nicole, because that's going to help us with our numbers um, and bring those into alignment. And Brenda, we'll give you the last word. 
your guilty pleasure or your escape. That will get us. And, and, and I think about it in love language, right? There are five love languages. And one of them, if I'm not mistaken, y'all keep me honest, is touch, right? We have affirmation. We have, you know, so touch is one of them. So romance. Is romance all about the touch? What is romance in its truest form? Romance, <clears throat> romance in its truest form is just an expression and love. I mean, it's really using all the senses. I tell all the senses, nose, touch, smell, all the senses, not just touch. Um, it's also in speaking when you do communication. So um, a lot of people think of romance as just the love part, the bed part. But it's not just that. It is the communication. Because unless you communicate, and when you communicate, you can communicate in a lot of ways. Um, but no, that's that's it. I mean, it's not just the touch, but it's just the feeling. And it's not just the physical feeling. It's the mental feeling as well. So, And that's what we're talking about, the whole person. And as women, we have to be whole before we can be the S on our chest for everybody else, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You guys are just beautiful. Thank you so much. I really sincerely mean that, all of you. Thank you. Um, and when we're on the other side of this pandemic, we will come together in a physical space and we'll celebrate all the success of what we are all doing individually and what we're going to do to help our community uh, and women be our best selves. Thank you, Dr. Yeah. Barbara. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Brenda, for joining us today. And as always, thank you, Dr. Anita. Love you all. Enjoy your all right. day. Thank, thank you, you, JC. Bye.